boop, right in there. Plug it right on up. Right on. <laughs> Seal the whole thing up, buddy. Oh, I see that you did that without fingering your mouth. Yeah, I don't like to put my finger all the way inside my mouth, except... Do you want to hear the noise I like making when my finger's inside? Like, <laughs> you fucking bet I I do. have to put my finger inside my mouth to make this Get noise. Get in there. Oh, God! That was so <laughs> deep. No wonder you don't like putting your finger in your mouth. You can only do it if you go to the third <laughs> knock. You ready? Oh, God. Is that... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I've... Oh, God! Like, for a man who doesn't like putting his fingers in his mouth, you have just deep-throated your finger like four times in the last 30 seconds. Oh, my chin's Look at all the wet. deep, satisfying rub of your chin you just had. These levels are unheard of. He was describing Whiskey Man like somebody nobody else can see. Oh. I think we got a ghost. Don't choke. There it is. Is that your stomach? Welcome to a perfectly acceptable podcast. We're uh, the the haunted spooky ghost edition because... Um, Roman's got a ghost <laughs> in his, his tummy and Django yeah. just proffered that... the, the gravy. St- um... <laughs> Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of co- Django is not happy with this so, this so far of the podcast. Where every Tuesday we get a whole bunch of comic books uh, from UPS. We bring them back to our comic shop where we count them and sort them and file them away. And get all excited about them. We squirrel away a couple of them in our shirts and pants. Is what we've divulged last week. We've told them it's a, if it's not in your pants, you can't get it out of here. That's sort like of the a, thing. Like a snapper. Exactly, like a red snapper. Yeah. Um, and we take those books home. And uh, just read them all excited, like uh, the big old stack. To this week, pretty big stack of comics. Uh, and then we come back to our comic book store that we all love, sort of being in, worshiping at the pulpit of, or else bathing in the uh, the lunar the light of the stars. Don't say lunar. There was an eclipse last night. Oh, there was an eclipse last night. Um, and this episode, this special spooky haunted podcast, is on the eve of Fourth of July. Um, Ooh. And then after we have fun Wednesday spooky casting around, uh, we take all those uh, wonderful stories and opinions, and we bring them up here to the Pap Cave in the Sky, and we uh, engage in a variety of tangents, either related to or unrelated to the shop, the books, or the comings and goings of our lives. I'm Jeff, and I'm just happy to be riding uh, this celestial incubator with you three until we, well, with you two, us three, until we uh, burst out of this small glass cage that's kept us prisoned for so long and finally escape like the peacocks that we are into the celestial bath that is the future. I'm Django. <laughs> I'm Roman. I'm just picturing like a cosmic version of the end of that elevator scene in Willy Wonka where they... Sh- burst through the glass ceiling and they're flying. Okay. Hey, that's a reference to one of these comics. I know it is. Yes, and one of these comics are comics that are going to get spoiled. In order to do that, we're going to tell you, the listener, who uh, the books are that we're going to be spoiling, whose, you know, tattoos we're going to expose this evening. Django has one. Thanks for stalling, Jeff. Hey, Django, did you know that Roman has a giant fucking Blue Lantern tattoo on his leg? No. Have you seen it? We're gone. What's the... 
What? Pull it I out. I got it while you were gone. Pull it out. <laughs> Whoa! Gorgeous James. Damn. I wanted to get a gorgeous James before he went to Spokane. Dude. <laughs> Is that real? Yeah, it's Brother Worf. My favorite blue lantern. So if you want to see Roman's sweet tattoo, uh, come into the shop. Dang. Uh, we're going to talk about Savage Avengers number three. Ooh. Lois Lane number one Ooh. of 12. Maxi series. Maxi series. Deceased number three. Schleek. All right. Uh, <laughs> this is going to be a fucked one, boys. <laughs> Sorry for the editing, Jeffrey. Yeah. We're going to talk Good about... reading. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for stalling, guys. I had to squash a ghost. <laughs> oh, spooky! You've got ectoplasm all over your pants. Yeah, sure. <laughs> That's extra gravy. Uh, <laughs> I made biscuits and gravy. We're going to talk about Savage Avengers number Schlee. <laughs> That's why you wanted to start back over. <laughs> you <Yes>. coward. <laughs> We're going to talk about Lois Lane number one. Deceased number Schley. Old Man Quill, number seven, thanks to Andrew Carlson. Schlieven. Uh, sea of Stars, number one. Superman Up in the Sky, number one. Uh, the Green Lantern, number nine, which is Schlie, Schlie, Schlie. Schlie, to the power of three. Schlie. Uh, no One Left to Fight, number one. Mm-hmm. And also The Walking Dead, number 190, Schlie. <laughs> <laughs> Bunch of boys ready to have fun here. I love it. Well, listen, you guys, um, I haven't read Savage Avengers number one or two, but I've been hearing crazy shit about this series. So I just decided to drop my, uh, my, I just tried to drop myself into this pool because comics. Yeah. And why not? You should be able to do that with any series. Uh, this is written by Gary or Jerry Duggan, and with art by Mike Diodato Jr. and uh, colors by Mike Diodato Jr., it seems like. All right, can we get my complaint out of the way? Please. Sure. The name Gath. I don't like it. Everything else is good, though. Oh, what was but that's it? only his last name. It's cool, yeah. cool on Gath. But yeah, I'd change it if I was him. <laughs> Man, there's a lot of pretty, uh, you know... Kulin Goth, the sickle priest, and the you know Jotun Lao, and you know there's there's some <clears throat> names in here. That said, Jotun Lao kind of is a lousy lousy name. <laughs> oh, it's like we got Dino here. Lao going biscuits to mouth. Nice try, <laughs> lousy. Oh God, we have got to do something that we're good at. Please get us back <laughs> on the road, Jeff. Deliver us in our final hour. All right, Jeff, I'll do it. Extend your hand out of the shadows that I might cast you into the light of the sun. Um, <laughs> that's, how, that's how Simon Coulon Garth talks. <laughs> kind of. I dug this a lot, and the end of it, the cover for the next issue is Punisher with a sword and Conan with two automatic guns. Yeah. Which kind of embodies what I loved about the whole issue. Yeah, this issue just kind of leaned into the silly silliness of, like, a, the silliness of someone named the Sickle Priest trying to kill Wolverine with a sickle. I do like... Just going to make him mad. I do like the Sickle Priest. So, yeah, this is mostly just a big battle because the <clears throat> Sickle Priest is trying to get enough blood from warriors as a sacrifice to summon the Marrow God. All very, very good. I'm not sure why Wolverine suddenly fell over 
in the middle of this? I think he just ran out of blood. Yeah, it's because he's been bled okay. out for hours by the sickle priest. He falls over like a sad, small wolverine, and Conan picks him up and starts kind of wailing him around, throwing him around, and uh, he says, back knaves, um, and he just comments on just like how amazing the knives are. Yeah, they he's are like his claws. Where he's is swinging Wolverine's body around oh. and using his claws while Wolverine's unconscious. So you must like, tell me where you got these blades. So good. It's, it's so I, silly. I love before that happens. Conan's like propping Wolverine up and threatening Kulan Goth and saying, "Saying, but together with this dwarf, with this yeah. dwarven companion, because of course Wolverine's <laughs> tiny compared to Conan." <laughs> Yeah, I love uh, how they're using Conan in this book. Like He fits so well into the Marvel Universe to me as kind of uh, a dumb, clueless character. Yeah. Which plays him a little bit more comically than, than how he seems to be portrayed in the other series, although I'm not reading them. Yeah, he is more comical here. The thing about the Marvel Universe right now in general, I think, is that so like as the movies take these characters and make them more grounded and realistic... The um, the comics are just going wilder and wilder with, you know, Wolverine used just for his hands. And um, that at the end of this where, uh, spoiler alert, Conan gets uh, the, the Venom symbiote. Like, they're just kind of throwing all the shit at the fan and watching it stick everywhere. Do you feel like... It's kind of a return to an older era of comics where this type of thing was more common. Do you feel like the yeah. mm-hmm. late 70s to the early 90s had a sort of era where this stuff was a lot more common and now... Yeah, and like so in, it, in the mid-90s, they started trying to get more serious and, yeah. and being more... I'm looking at you, Frank. Miller. Everybody. Yeah. Everybody. Even like Rob Liefeld was trying to be way more serious, than, serious than this kind of stuff. And this is just zany and fun yeah. and violent and... It's yeah. It, it's almost like a like an '80s movie. I also like the fact in here that that Kulan Gath, despite the terrible last name, he does point out the Gath. fact that he was Casually he he done. used to be apparently the Sorcerer Supreme. He was the yeah. top wizard, the top magician in Conan's time. Yeah, he's an old Conan foe. Um, How many Quapos would you give it? I'd give it a Gath and Gath and a Thirth. <laughs> one Gath and one Thirth Quapo. Let's see. Take him outside. You did just talk about Seven taking and a half. it outside? Seven and a half. Seven and a half if you take it outside. Yeah, Captain Blue. <laughs> How many gaths for me? Um, <laughs> hmm. Seven and one half gath for me, which translates to the normal point metrics. I don't know why Django had to do any math outside. <laughs> Okay, everyone knows that Gath Quapo is the same as our normal point system. <laughs> I'll go to an eight. Oh. Eight Gaths. It's just eight Gath. <laughs> <laughs> what a Quapo. Um, Lois Lane. Wait, you know? I mean, yes and. I'm just fucking up. Um, yes and. <laughs> yeah! Yes and Lois Lane and the question and Superman. Greg Rucka and. Mike? Um, yeah, Mike Perkins, art and cover and colors <clears throat> by Paul Mounts. Mm-hmm. He's your Brian Hitch color. Is he? Oh, uh, I believe so. I believe you. Yeah. I liked this comic a lot. I liked it a lot mm. also. As did I. This is, yeah, this is like <gasps> top tier Rucka so far. It feels like Stumptown to me. 
but with Lois Lane in the lead, like hard drinking, badass, kick-ass Lois Lane, who's not afraid to piss people off. And this does not seem to be strictly so far tied to the like Leviathan stuff at all. No. Oh. Which I think was kind of an, uh, I was curious if it was going to be a sort of tie into that or seem directly related to that, but it, I'm glad that this seems to be its own 12-issue series. Yeah. Yeah, it's seems to be its own thing although it is like continuity wise it's definitely set in the current continuity because right. mm-hmm. Lois and Clark are not necessarily living together and people just saw like publicly Superman kiss Lois and so some people think that uh, she's cheating, she's cheating on, Clark. on Clark which is awesome yeah um, and the way that they handle that where she's just like talking to him and she's like dude uh you're famous, and I'm kind of famous, and there's cameras everywhere. Of course, this is going to happen. Yeah, uh, I really like that that exchange, and and the part where she, he's like, "You, you're you're hiding something from me." And she says, yeah. "We can we can both uh, have secrets as long as we trust each other." Right. I thought that was pretty cool. So this is basically Lois on the trail of a large conspiracy mystery. And she meets up with the question in a giant parking lot, parking garage at one point. And I love the exchange that she had about Woodward and Bernstein mm-hmm. in uh, Watergate and just why you would meet in a parking garage because there's no one in it. But you can also hear people coming from a super far away. And yeah, just writing like that, I love uh, when you're telling a story, but also bringing in real history and, and expanding on the why of a story and not just giving a what. Yeah. Yeah. Super, and that's just like super impressive Greg Rucker <clears throat> writing. And at the end, she she's in this uh, White House press briefing and has she has a conversation with the press secretary that's a lot like a real conversation that a real press or a real member of the press had and got kicked out of White House meetings after that. Yeah, I, I, I like the kind of real life touchstones in this book. Yeah, that was cool. And the the Wayne Tech phone, I yeah. love that. That's a thing. Her iPhone has a big W on the top. Yeah, I really liked it. It seemed like just buckle up for a 12-issue awesome detective piece written by Greg Rucka. And it felt really in line with that Bendis Superman thing that's been going on right now. Like, in terms of the tone of the characters. I, I love that they've got a, a, seem, a seemingly unified vision for Lois Lane at this point, like, in terms yeah. of her characterization. Yeah. Yeah, I loved her exchange with Perry over the phone. <laughs> You know, keep, keeping with all the stuff that's true to her character that, she, you know, she can't spell and she doesn't really care. And, and Perry was great. Although the fact that apparently we're guessing Renee Montoya is still a question. Is that a question? Yeah. <laughs> a question? Because <laughs> Vic Sage is also the question. Yeah. We got two questions running around and right Doomsday. now. Doomsday. Oh, man. And, Doomsday Clock. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Doomsday Clock's a separate universe. Well, but isn't... No, but that same doomsday, that same question has been in Bendis's Superman stuff yeah, oh, as well. Yeah, yeah. Vic Sage has. Uh, yeah, yeah, male question. Wow. Yeah. All right. Maybe it's Vic Sage Junior. I uh, yeah, I don't know about that era. Or maybe there's some other on. woman. I don't know. I'm assuming it's Montoya. I'm, I assume it's Montoya just because Ruck has written Montoya in the past. Yeah. Well, he's written her well. Oh yeah. <laughs> well. Well. Um, how many quapos? Uh, a quapo. Equipo. Eight Quapo Girths. I give it eight half Quapo Girths. 
Oh, girthy Quapo. It's <laughs> a wide Quapo. Man, nine and a half. I, oh. I, I might go for a ten. He's not even going to do the Quapo joke. He's not even, man. That's way too many Quapos to put on a table. <laughs> it's going to break. Oh, God. The Kuntung's making the legs buckle. Yeah, ten. Ten. Ten Quapo. 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 Ten Ultra Quapos. Ultra. Well, ten Quapos is one Ultra Quapo. Okay. It's there much we go. like the metrics. One Ultra Quapo. That's what I love about the Quapo system is it sort of unifies all units of measurement. Yeah, you got a base three, Quapo. You got base ten, Quapo. Quapo. <laughs> it's all one Quapo. It's all one Quapo. Quapo. I wish I could remember which episode Quapo was created in. Um, <laughs> uh, Dino, what's a Quapo? When when was Quapo? DC eased number Schlee. Um, it said Schlee. Number Schlee by Tom Taylor, Trevor Hairsign, and Stefano Guadiano. I mm. go ahead. I man, just out of nowhere, DC put a book out. They said it was going to be zombies. I thought that sounds dumb. Let's not order that much. But then the covers were cool, so we ordered a lot more than I was going to. And it turns out that it's like a deeply good comic series. Tom Taylor. This issue I finished reading, and I like. I turned to Sam. I was like, Sam, I have to tell you about what happened in this issue. Because uh, I think that it was super brutal and uh, heart-wrenching. And what I said today in the shop was I think that it does a great job of highlighting what makes Superman so good and so strong is when you can put those characters in situations like this. Not make good people act shitty, but make good people be strong in shitty situations. So in this issue, we have some crazy Atlantis stuff go on, and this virus is being transmitted through blood and water, and there's just a giant blood cloud, and it had uh, Tempest. And wasn't he, isn't this like the one that was created in the New 52? I don't know anything no, about Tempest. This is that is... Aqualad? <laughs> this is going to be confusing. This is the first Tempest who was the first Aqualad. Okay. And then there was another Tempest created in New 52 that... That no one has talked about. Right. Yeah, this is okay. alternate, alternate reality. And yeah, this... Like an else this, 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 is yeah. the, this is the grown-up Aqualad that was in the Teen Titans okay. originally. Okay. But uh, the the real heart of this issue, and then Harley has to fight the Birds of Prey as zombies, but the heart of this issue is Superman realizing everything is super fucked and that John's okay and Lois is okay and he's just, just like, I've got to go home. And everyone's like, okay, you go. And he makes sure some people are going to be watching us for his family. And he, and, and he clears out all the people from the Daily Planet yeah. building, including a zombie Perry. Yeah. Which, that that got me good, too. Just like one panel of him saying, they're not people anymore. Yeah, as he's flying to home, he also can't stop being Superman. So he has to help as many people as he can on the way. And he clears out a lot of buildings. And there's this great monologue uh, of him just like doing Superman level, uh, being the hero you need to be in that these people aren't pe people and they have to be destroyed at this point because they're going to hurt other people. So he's clearing shit out, but he ultimately gets to home and Ma Kent, we find out, has locked Pa Kent in the cellar of the barn and Superman slowly in shadows goes to the to the cellar and opens it up and sees Pa just horrible zombied out and he locks him back in there and with one solar eye shot uh, kills Pa Kent and it is so brutal. Oh, is that what he did? I don't... 
I guess that's what I assumed I he thought did. He, I thought he closed the door on Paul and then just welded it shut. That's what I got, too. Oh. <clears throat> okay. I thought he closed the door because he couldn't look at him when he did it. Oh. I guess maybe it's a little mm. ambiguous. Huh? It's super ambiguous. So either way, it's it's so sad. Yeah. So this issue is a <clears throat> month old, or the last issue came out one month ago. Mm-hmm. The issue before came out one month before that, and I only know that because I read these on my way to New Orleans. I think. Mm-hmm. Definitely for the second one, maybe for the first one. Mm-hmm. In the first issue, one of Batman's sons bites him and infects him. Yeah. In the second issue. Batman's dad has to kill him. Mm-hmm. And in the third issue, Superman has to deal with his dad who's become a zombie. And like going back and forth to New Orleans with my dad dying and then also getting this kind of interspersed. It's it's been a it's been an interesting way to read this book because I don't think I would have noticed how heavy-handed the father and son dynamics are in this book, but they are all over it. Yeah. And I don't know if, if Tom Taylor's working through something or if that's just like what he's – I don't even know if he knows that that's – those are the relationships that he's got interacting at the end of every issue. But yeah. dang, it's it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Yeah, and a brutal subject matter. That's the thing for me. It's just like, oh. Sometimes if there's dad issues in a thing, I'm just not going to get into that. Yeah. It's a thing that I'll steer clear of. Sure, it's real good. Like, actually, that was almost my read on Sea of Stars this week. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the art continues to be gorgeous in this. The, I don't know. It must be the colorist, but I love – it's been a thing that has kind of happened since Bendis has been, over, like, taken over Superman, like, in Rebirth. But this darker hue for Superman, like, the blue of Superman, and then – not like a gloss, but there's more of a white highlight to it in the light. There's just, I really like what we've been doing for the coloring on Superman for the last year and a half. It's been real, real, real good. Big fan. I really like this book. Uh, if I had one complaint, it would be the the kind of the pacing, or maybe it's just the way that the art is interacting with the story. Um Go I, on. I, I don't feel the stakes like I want to feel the stakes. I feel like it should be a lot. I don't know if it needs to be more decompressed or if the panel to panel relationships need to be more clear. But like every every time I read, it, I'm like, wow, that's that's a huge thing that just happened, and I didn't feel anything while it was happening. Hmm. Um, that said, I love the way that he breaks the panel borders. Like he yeah. violates the panel borders over and over to give you kind of a 3D effect and to show the characters kind of going out of their panels. Um, and there's some really inventive stuff in here. When when Aquaman starts killing everybody and the, ski, the seas get dark from underneath, yeah. that's That was one of several shit. moments that like really did hit for me and gave me those, like I, I actually kind of had the opposite reaction to these where I, that gave me like, oh shit, with that cloud approaching. Mm-hmm. Like before it got there, there was just this ominous cloud coming. I yeah that was one of those got me because because Tempest just without even realizing it, sw- swims into the cloud yeah. and Mara realizes wait the blood in the and that he gets infected. What do you give it, Jeff? Um, eight point five. I really look wow. forward to this comic now. Um, it's brutal. It made me feel a lot while I was reading it. Like I don't 
I don't often like say, "Hey Sam, let me give you this story beat by beat" because it impressed me. Um, but yeah, it really made me feel the weight of Superman and the burden that 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 is, and how you can be Superman and still feel and deal with the same human trauma that happens to anybody. I give it a seven and a half. Uh, <clears throat> I'll give it a seven and a half as well. It's just bugs, guys. Damn, it's a lot of bugs. Uh, we had a customer, Andrew Carlson, woo. this week request that we talk about Oldman Quill. Oldman Quill. I got a question. Yeah, well, written by Ethan Sachs and Robert Gill uh, uh, as the artist, colorist, Andres Mosley. It's number Gil seven. Quill. Number seven. So I'll bet he read this I issue read and wanted it. to hear our feedback. Yeah. Um, no small feat, but all three of us read it. Yeah, all three of us read this book. Is anyone current on this book? Uh, I think I read one, two, maybe three, and skipped an issue or two. I keep bringing it home and then bringing it back because I don't get around to it. Um, but I just read this one, and holy shit, I liked it. Yeah, I Ethan Sachs rules, and I love the way that you kind of build to a final page. He's so good at doing a single-issue cliffhanger. I love the, I love the cover, how it... <clears throat> foreshadows that final page but i didn't realize it until after i'd read it and looked at the cover again spoilers everybody there's spoilers in this issue spoilers in this podcast mf and spoilers mf and spoilers um so this follows peter quill and the guardians of the galaxy as they go into the baxter building which at some point during the the battle between all the good guys and bad guys was lifted way up into the sky and then dropped on a gigantic loki and so they got to get into the basement of the baxter building in order to find the ultimate nullifier Yep. And, That's good uh, world building, Ethan Sachs. That's the kind yeah. of stuff I like about Old Man Logan. Can I, can I interrupt here? Yeah. But this is set in like the Old Man Logan, Old Man blah, 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 Hawkeye universe, right? Right. Mm-hmm. right. So, yeah. yeah. So this is like, this is, we've already seen the stakes happen for Loki yeah. anyway. Um, we get to see Dr. Doom sitting on a throne made out of Ben Grimm's body. That's grossed me out. Which is holy shit. Grossed me out. Uh, we got to see a whole bunch of Moloids. We got to see uh, Herbie. Haven't seen Herbie in a long time. Except for on that Sienkiewicz cover to the Fantastic Four a couple months ago. I feel like a kid again. <laughs> um, and at the end, after they defeat thousands of Moloids in a really gross, awesome way. Hmm. Um, 28 days later. 28 weeks later. That's the yep. movie I can't. Yeah. Oh. Yep. The second one. Yeah. Um, we see... OMAC and the Church of Universal <laughs> Light. Wait. The Guardian. God damn it, I can't keep those two straight. <laughs> I don't know if you know, but OMAC is a DC character. I remember the Ultimate Nullifier. You did get... Yeah. yeah. Is, yeah, is Swamp Thing in this? No. Uh, man Thing. Man but thing. he's not in it either. Oh, man. <laughs> anyway, Thing. Look, he doesn't even have his... his his uh, mohawk here. Yeah, it's because he's going bald. I used to have a mohawk, Roman. Now Jingle I can't. <laughs> used to have a mohawk, and then he had two small side mohawks. I've got a mohawk down my back. Ew. <laughs> 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 so what we find out after the church comes down and confronts uh, our buddy Peter Quill is that all of the guardians that he's hanging out with have been in his imagination, and uh, he got a he got a message at some point before he went down to Earth that they needed him to go save save things, and they all died. He, he watched them die, and he kind of broke enough that he's been imagining them on this adventure with him. And that's, that's really sad. I love stories that take you through a portion of a journey, and then something happens, and it causes you to need to reframe everything that just happened. 
you got to go back and read this whole series yeah. again to see like how nuts did, this guy is and probably nobody else actually does anything in right. the action like if uh, that bar fight in the first issue if they were there and i can't quite remember i think they show up at the end of the first issue okay he like he just he had to do all of the actual physical yeah. stuff in this whole series which is dang it's good storytelling i'm impressed yeah this was a big surprise i'm curious to go back and read read the other because I, yeah I, don't, I only read one or two issues i think beginning and we should have known to trust him because i just don't a really good job with Hawkeye. Yeah, Hawkeye. I just don't know a ton about and... Guardians, so it, it's like kind of getting payoffs for a thing I don't know much about. Um, yeah. But it still is satisfying to read for sure. I'm glad Andrew asked us to read this. Andrew, I'm super glad you asked us to read this. Yeah. Um, I don't know how long this one's supposed to be. Probably 10 or 12 like Old Man Hawkeye was, but I love that this is sort of the reveal of two-thirds of the way through a series. Yeah, and I like the fact that the uh, – I forget the name of the church, but <clears throat> this yeah. evil church is – is becoming a thing again, or does become a thing again in the Marvel universe? Because they were big in the '70s with Adam Warlock. And yeah, it's Adam Warlock. I remember yeah. you talking about the origin of what this religion was based on. Uh, I give it a seven point <laughs> five. Yeah, I'll give it a solid eight. So, Sea of Stars. This one's for all you daddy issues out there, or not? Hey, uh, me, me, <laughs> us, <laughs> everybody <laughs> with a dad. Everybody with a dad has got those daddy issues. Oh, Jason Aaron and Dennis Hallam with Stephen Green and Rico Renzi. That's a star-studded cast. I don't know the last two names. Rico Renzi? Rico Renzi's a colorist that uh, we've we've had discussions about on the show before. Oh, Rico. Yeah. Um, it, it sounds familiar now that you mention it. So this follows a kid and a dad in a spaceship delivering stuff from a museum to another place. And the kid's bored, puts on a spacesuit to go in the low atmosphere uh, cargo hold, and then the ship gets attacked by a giant monster and ruined. Space whale. Space whale. And the kid falls out and uh, is now, he's like a nine-year-old kid, and now he's on an adventure with uh, without his dad. And his dad is working very painstakingly uh, to find his son that he's separated from. It hurts your heart to see. And the thing that we find out is that the kid can breathe just fine with or without the suit in space. And he's got, uh, like, the, the suit's torn. He's missing a, a sleeve and a leg, and he's just all right in space. So that's kind of cool. Yeah, because as he was falling out of the ship, he, he accidentally grabbed one of the artifacts from the cargo hold, and it's given him powers. Uh, they seem to be, is? yeah, transporting yeah. some uh, old museum artifacts thing. or something. Okay, that's pretty rad. I uh, oh right, and then on the next panel, he some sort of power thing happens yeah, from he gets the power cosmic somewhere else in space. Very I thought cool. it was the ultimate nullifier when he grabbed it. The the nullifier cosmic. Yeah. That's in the basement of the Baxter Building. Yeah, in the future. Oh, Max, watching it. Which this giant space whale must have eaten. Um. I thought this was really good. I liked, I believe the kid after the first couple pages, first couple pages, I had a hard time because, um, what did he say? He said something that was something that just didn't seem like a kid that's nine would ever say. My mom would let me do that. No, <laughs> well, that was it was real, but, <laughs> uh, I could have babysitted myself. I mean, I'm almost nine years old. An eight-year-old probably knows that it would be babysat. Yeah. Right? Like, that 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 seems like 
maybe Jason Aaron doesn't have an eight-year-old. This one didn't sound a ton like a Jason Aaron book to me. Yeah. But I think the character work was really strong, and the art was was pretty. Oh, I love it, the the space whale eating the ship. Yeah, yeah. Scary. The yeah. teeth had teeth. There were yeah. The design is really cool, and the coloring is beautiful. This first panel. Yeah, the coloring is gorgeous. Space, and you see his cargo ship actually has like light sails. Solar kind of. sails. Like a photon. Yeah, solar sails. No, I totally agree. And when there are those scenes of the aliens and outside the ship, there really is like an underwater feeling of just colossal scale. Yeah, he they consistently yeah. do a great job of, of scale. Didn't like blow me away, but uh, it is a unique art style that fits a, a unique. It provides a unique tone and, and environment for the story. For the first half of it, I was like, okay, I don't know if I just want to read another family and space story. But then the second half of it, it took more interesting turns, like with the ship getting thrashed and the kid and the dad separated and then these cool space whales and then whatever uh, monkey and space dolphin, evil dolphin the kid gets hooked up with. Like it's got a cool, I'm interested in where it's going, but uh, I did all, like I was a little tempted to stop reading it halfway through because it felt like a book we get a lot of for the first chunk of it. Yeah, the first couple pages. And the surprise, I mean, at least for me, I thought his dad got eight. Yeah. I thought his dad was dead. So when he shows up alive later, I was like, oh, wow, cool. Um, the Something you said earlier today, Jeff, was that you thought it felt like a, oh, yeah. a Jeff Lemire book. Yeah. And I think that's spot on. Like the just the tenacious kid. He's not walking and sad in the snow in Canada, but uh, he's floating and flying and sad in space. And what I particularly meant about it was that I was not like I wasn't over the moon about how like this wasn't the most interesting story. But when I finished the issue, I cared about everyone involved yeah. more than it felt like I should. And Even that's the what Jeff space Lemire is. monsters. Yeah, and Jeff Lemire is so good at that. You're like, oh shit, I I care about these people now. How did you do that so quickly? Yeah. Yeah, I like the way when these two aliens find the the kid unconscious and they're going to eat him. And I like the way just with this alien's dialogue, it built up that the kid could understand them and communicate with them. And the two aliens were like, wait, that's, is it talking to us? Yeah. Just the whole way, the way that the writer portrayed them seeing this human kid as such an alien. God, Roman, you're such a stud. And I love, and I love when we find out his dad, the narration in black where, you slowly realize his dad is talking about his father's, the movies he would make him watch about, you know, yeah. some guy that's lost everything and just is going to keep going for revenge or one little goal. Not only to reveal his dad was still alive to me, but it was also like, oh, wow, cool. So this is what this story is going to be, this dad going, going like Mel Gibson in payback. Just has this one simple mission. He's going to make it happen. <laughs> what would you give it? <laughs> I would give Sea of Stars. <laughs> Uh, seven and a half. I'm gonna read the next one. I could see this. If this is four issues, I'm gonna like it a lot less than if it's twelve. <laughs> Wait, what? I want a lot of it. I want to see. I don't want like oh, the okay. dad to to hop onto some other space freighter and run into the kid at a cantina on Tatooine. I want to see yeah. like. I want to see the kid and the dad have a long adventure not necessarily finding each other anytime soon. And like if this book ends 40 years from here, I would be 
pretty stoked. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Saga style where we, we Give me just, some time jumps separated still. Yeah, time jumps yeah. or give me 72 issues of it. I don't yeah. uh, I got nothing else going on. Walking Dead's over. Yeah. Um, I would give this one a seven. A, a pretty good comic book. I did like it. It didn't scream super, super unique to me yet, but I cared about the characters more than I thought I was going to. So uh, if Django tells me that issue two is really, really good, I'll keep reading it. I'm excited for it. It's a number two. Yeah. I am too. I'll give it an eight. I'll go to eight stars. Nice. Man, I just had this crazy sort of feeling as you were giving your score, Django, and it was sort of that dawn of the third day at Helm's Deep feeling. Uh, kind of like, um, oh, he's trying too no, hard. No, 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 on the flow of the podcast, you know, we've crested some sort of hill, and I, I truly had this vision of, like, we had created shelter in the shade of an enormous pine tree, and it was dawn, and the sun was rising over the mountain, and Roman, the giant bird mother, revealed, hidden in his bosom, both of our beautiful little baby bird faces, and he had kept us warm and fed us through the night. And chirp, then, chirp, And then chirp. I am like the slightly younger baby bird, but you're a slightly older dodo bird that's, you know, in his in chirp. his wings. And, uh, and as the sun sort of reached, reached full view, you that the dew fell on us and we all were like we're ready to take on the second half of this podcast <laughs> <laughs> it was it was that, a powerful vision that was beautiful son yeah. now here comes the regurgitation blah <laughs> <laughs> papa roma give me dinner oh papa roma give me dinner Ooh, papa roman dinner at breakfast mm. always dinner at breakfast <laughs> you're gonna make me papa roman oh um this tom is an all King. ages podcast motherfucker wrote and Andy <laughs> Kubert drew Superman up in the sky they did it for Walmart but then a bunch of stinky retailers got super <laughs> angry made them feel real bad so they reprinted those short stories in these issues for comic stores to sell so there's a Batman one a Teen Titans one and a Superman one and, and, a and maybe Wonder a Birds Woman? of Prey one and a Wonder Woman one all by all by all merits should be pretty good because they all have great creative teams attached to them so this was the first one to come out. I was really interested in it. They are definitely doing a unique branding thing with it. We got a big blue logo on the top and blue on the bottom, just vaguely reminiscent of the Walmart color scheme. Yeah, they're a little blue and white, yellow sphincter away from me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just one yellow <laughs> sphincter smiley face. But this issue, I thought, was really great. I thought that it really highlighted what. <laughs> <laughs> the biscuits are coming. The just, biscuits are coming. I just threw up biscuit in my, I just threw up gravy in my mouth while I was saying. Unfortunately, it wasn't too much though. Man, it's a good thing we didn't record eating the biscuits. Roman, why don't you tell us about oh, that one? I was, I was gonna let you because I'm trying to remember. Oh, that's generous. Uh, but did you say Andy Kubert? I did. The writer. Okay. It's or basically penciler? year one. Batman year one. Yeah. <laughs> Said Django every day of his life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this has a theme of, of kids in danger, too. Jeez. Um, there's this little girl in the hospital that Superman's trying to... I know, I'm trying to remember what the hell this was about. Oh, we were just talking about that other comic about kids in danger. I thought Roman had, like, a basement full of oh, kids in danger. Oh, this one's also about kids in danger. <laughs> this one's for the keeper shell. Speaking of that cellar out in the barn. <laughs> <laughs> Did you know, I I'm kinda, not cutting it. There was, there was. I kind of <laughs> thought too. Maybe that scene in that in that other Superman in DC East what? was a little like sub, a subtle joke too from Evil Dead too, because the the kiddiest grandmother in the cellar 
a zombie. Swallow your soul, swallow your soul. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's a famous scene. That's the reference. That, and before Ash what gets her down there and blows her, you know. He blows He blows her away with a shotgun. Oh god. Yeah. Like, oh, and that was a reference to Harley Quinn in DC East. Yeah. When she's exactly. she, when she shotguns. Oh Ash. yeah, right, right. Yeah. Oh god. And so what's this book about? You okay. So in this can, one Can you do this without throwing up, Jeff? This is yeah, I'll try now. So this one is interesting. It's paced. Kind of interestingly, because I believe that this has four issues worth. It has two 20-page portions, and these are coming out in 10-page installments in the monthly Walmart books. I think this is the first so this four is, of those. Oh. I think it's the first two. Maybe it's just the first two. It's but chapter I, one and chapter two. Yeah, but it's just a lot of pages. Yeah. Um, so maybe they're more than 10 pages. I was thinking maybe they were doing half a chapter per Walmart book. They Superman gets some sort of distress call or some type of signal that there is a, a young girl is in space and she's been separated. She's a kid in danger, as Roman would affectionately put it. Um, and, <laughs> and, uh, and Superman kind of wrestles with the idea of whether or not he should actually do anything about it. Um <laughs> Because and that makes sense, right? Because Superman's yeah. weighing the idea of if I go save this one kid, tons of other kids could die. Roman, and it, to pique your interest, but <laughs> well, like it's going to take him a while, right? And he's, he can't get that time back, and he does a lot of good on Earth. Yeah. So is he going to go chase after this one girl that Batman's asking him to? And what I loved about this is he goes to talk to Pa Kent about it, and he has this fantastic conversation with Pa. Pulls him up out of the cellar. Pulls him up out of the <laughs> cellar, chains him up. Um, chains him to the fence, like, have a conversation. And I'm trying to find the page where he has this conversation, and I can't, but I, I'm pretty sure it was Paul that he talks it's to. pretty early on, yeah. Oh, yeah, it is Paul. Um, and it's just this idea, and this is what, you know, Superman Year One was lacking for me. It's this moment of Superman saying, it's like... beautiful panel. Yeah, and the art is, is gorgeous. It's, it's pretty good Andy Kubert. Um, and, he, you know, Superman's saying to Paul, like, well, they need me here. He's like, yeah, I suppose they do. Uh, and he says, "Who knows what's coming our way? If I, you know, if, if I if I go up there, like she's just one little girl." And he says, "No, I suppose you can't really, you know, bail on everybody to go save." <laughs> Paul just does plays devil's advocate, um, and kind of just agrees with whatever Clark says, and allows Clark to find himself at the answer he needs to come to. And Paul says. Um, yeah, like maybe she'll be out there and maybe she'll die and, you know, she'll die hoping, you know, that little kids, uh, she won't die alone like all little kids do in Roman's fiction. Um, <laughs> but it, it's just this really touching scene of Pa being like saying a hard truth and, and saying this like it's not the obvious. I, I think this that was my favorite part of this whole book, but it's not the obvious. Yeah, save the masses over the one person. Right. It's that like. Maybe your whole life is worth what it's worth if you can go save this one scared, lonely child. And you can leave an entire team of superheroes on Earth to take care of it. But you're the only person that can go save this kid. And if you don't, nobody can. And that's it just becomes this no-brainer to Superman. And, and it was yeah. powerful. It, yeah, and he talks about, I think Paul talks about how um, kids especially always have that that hope you know, and to and he leaves it hanging there. The question of, do you really want to dash that hope? Here's here's yeah. the the unbelievable part to me is that Batman would get behind that because Batman seems like such a numbers guy. He does. Like, Don't go do this, dummy. Yeah, yeah. She's got your action figure that she stole from your little sister, but you're gonna you're gonna literally like kill a bunch of people by your inact uh, inability to be active on Earth. I did like the way that he. 
Is there just the one page with Batman here? Do they have another conversation later? I think they have another conversation later, but he's also, like, he's the one who kind of assigns the case to Superman, right? Right. Well, he says, go talk to this girl in Metropolis, and then something else happens that, like, we lead to her being in space, right? Yeah. Yeah, he talks to the girl. Well, I wonder if that's a little bit of, like, on Tom King's run on Batman, a little bit of, like, humanizing Batman a little bit. One. I really like the way that Superman goes and uh, has to plug himself into a supercomputer that broke when they tried to follow the Zeta beams. Well, don't they like scan a, a Theta or Zeta beam into his brain or something? Yeah, so and he, he can like, yeah. see e- everywhere it's ever been all at the same time, and it's always been everywhere. Yeah, and and that he's able to find out where the girl is. And it's there's like a very Grant Morrison thing, and I think Tom King has an ability to sort of tap into some of the things that feel uniquely Grant Morrison to me. But he says something to the effect of like, "I was lucky. Like this, this could have killed me. And any other yeah. time, it would have killed me. And any other time, I, the same guy, could have sat down here and not known where she was from getting this beam in here. But the power of comic books. Yep, it's a powerful, powerful tool. The, the power of fiction and stories, and all things are possible through it, which is what I love about comics. This made me remember all of those things, and for that, I'm going to give it an eight point five. Woo! Wow. I'm give it seven point oh. I like that. Seven point oh. I uh, I like the story. I didn't find the the quest all that believable. It's it's a weird quest. It is a weird quest, and things I kind of jump around. I'm guessing that he comes up with a way to send Superman back to the time that he left or something like that so that there's no actual negative ramifications of Superman being gone from yeah. his adopted home for so long. Um, but I, I like the journey and I like the the quirky sci-fi that it takes to get there. So good stuff. I'm going to read the next two. Then it's going to be over. Yeah. Is it just two issues? Three. Okay. Yeah. I'll give it an eight. I really dug it. Green Lantern number nine by Grant Morrison and Liam Sharp. Listen, I was starting to worry about this book. I hadn't, I didn't read issue number eight, the Green Arrow issue. My favorite books like Little Bird, The New World, things like the Green Lantern, books that I'm really excited about that I really like. I do have a tendency to like let those build up and read a chunk of them at a time. I'm about to do that with Wildstorm. But I was, I was hearing a lot of people, I was hearing some mixed things about the last issue of Grant, Grand Lantern. So I had to get in here because comics. Skip that last one. Make sure everybody's all right. How is it? Get my fingers in the primordial ooze of the imagination. And um, Right there on page two, you got Quaisto and Bugs. And it was such an interesting... This was a, such an interesting issue. Did everybody read this? No. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I plan to, though. Yeah, it is... Cause I wasn't sure if this is following up immediately on something that was presented in the last issue, but it doesn't seem to nope. be. Yeah, it's just... This is a total new start. <laughs> and I was like, man, if I didn't love and trust Grant Morrison, I could see me pretty frustrated five pages into this. But I love <laughs> and trust him, and I always know that like, if I feel totally out of the loop, I'm going to have a reason for this by the end of it. And this issue was absolutely like all of that. It was a perfect put things together, if not a tiny bit long tooth in the beginning. There was um, about half of the issue set up a thing that was going to happen. I feel like it maybe could have been half as long, that part, but uh, maybe. I don't know. What did you think, Roman? I loved it. Yeah. From, like, page two on. So are these... <laughs> page one, even, because page, page one's beautiful. Characters that we saw in these first couple pages, are these characters we've ever seen before? I didn't recognize any of them. 
But one of them, this one woman says something about, she mentioned Superman and Vartox. And as soon as she said Vartox, I was like, oh, sweet. Because Vartox was Superman's best friend, non-Earth friend, in the 70s. Okay. And he was a guy that looked like Sean Connery in Zardoz. I guess I couldn't <laughs> oh, help. But yeah. <laughs> I couldn't help but be thinking about what people who don't have a long-term investment in Green Lantern or Grant Morrison would be thinking about this comic book. And that was know, sort of where my head was at. And I was like, I bet that they're probably like, please, for the love of God, give me a name that I recognize in these first seven or eight pages. Why am I reading this book? Oh, yeah, and there you see Zart, uh, Zart, Vartok right on three page three. He's the one down here that's all beat right. up saying, save yourselves. For sure. But this I'm talking about thing. anybody else that's not you. Like people. Yeah, like people that are casually well, reading this book. Yeah, it depends on if they have a problem like just jumping into action right away and not needing explanation or if they need explanation. Well, I think a lot of people read a Green Lantern book to feel like they're in the DC universe. Yeah. And this ain't that. And I mean it is, but it's so far out ex- there. That that ex- exactly that. So I am very fond of it. But I could see I I could I could for sure understand that it might feel really jarring and uncomfortable to people who yeah. aren't super into going with the flow or aren't super aware of DC continuity. Could be. See, I started, I didn't, I loved the first like four or five pages and then when it went to the fantasy realm with Hal, I was like, oh, I'm not so into this. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the transition between those first like five pages and into that Hal thing was a little bit jarring because it seemed like it was maybe immediately connected to it. But what I actually think is going on is these first several pages are talking about this larger threat that we're introduced to later on in the issue. And we're seeing the effect that that threat is having on other parts of the multiverse. Yeah, and I really dug that because then when this horned guy that we find out is Abin Sir. Don't trust whores. Horns. Yeah, when he shows up. (laughs) When he shows up. (laughs) Sorry, there's a line in here where it says, I don't trust horns. Yeah. And it's a character that has horns. From the other horned guy. Yeah. Yeah, but when he shows up, Jesus, and I, <laughs> and I realized that, oh, this is the Abin Sir from Multiversity. Um, I was yeah, like, cool. that's why we've recognized him. He's yeah. totally in Multiversity. And and these other characters, like I had to Google this, but he says at the toward the end, he's like, SOS, we need help. And I was like, SOS, the Society of Superheroes from mm-hmm. Grant Morrison's Multiversity, mm-hmm. the alternate League of, uni- yeah. universe like superhero or Justice League. So is this guy with the OMAC mohawk? Is that Hal Jordan? Um, I'm looking for the OMAC mohawk. It's in the beginning. He rides a he rides a green dragon. Oh yeah yeah yeah. Oh, oh, so that yeah. is um, that is a helmet with a built-in OMAC uh, scarecrow mask. Uh, scare, scarecrow flare is what they call those. Um, <laughs> he's got a built-in scarecrow flare on the top of his helmet, which is very similar to an OMAC. Uh, an Omohawk. Uh, an Omohang. Um, and, uh, and yes, so it definitely is Hal Jordan doing a little Omac cosplay. And he's supposed to be on vacation. Yeah. And he's it turns like, out he's he chose... two weeks from retirement and he's getting too old for this shit. But I love <laughs> the conversation that he had, like the back and forth he has with his ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was real funny and kind of, I love setting that dynamic up. Kind of reminded me of uh, Doctor Who when the TARDIS became a personality, or reminded yeah. me a little bit of Dan Slott's Silver Surfer run with the Silver Surfer and his board. Yeah, like yeah. Now that Morrison's established that that Hal does communicate with the Ring and it talks back, and it's got a fun it's nice personality. Conti- yeah, it's nice continuing that. Yeah, we get to see um, an alternate reality Aubin Sir fight Hal Jordan with giant Green Lantern constructs, and I'm super into that. And at the end of this, uh, we get. 
what is this final reveal? I, I was so excited it with this. It means you. It made me so um, pumped. Especially because it says next, Quest for the Cosmic Grail. So I was like, oh, here's a Hal Jordan with, with, with a flashlight, which could be also, I forget, in mythology. But anyway, that's Parse... If you go Knights of the Round Table, Quest for the Grail, that's Parseval, who was the light bearer. There's the Green Knight, which is the ba- the Batman who got the Green Lantern ring and that Elseworld story. Oh yeah, and he also got it in the main continuity. Oh yeah, he did briefly too. And but I don't it know. Didn't I don't, look like this. No. No. Yeah, that's he definitely cooler, the Elseworlds actually. one. Yeah. And I don't know who the hippie dude comic. is. What I don't know uh, what probably his, Prez. I don't know what his <laughs> correspondence would be in the Arthurian mythos. Yeah, it made me. Really excited for the next issue. The B cover on this is amazing. It's it's oh, stayed yeah. really good. I I don't begrudge anybody for not loving this book because it is of a very unique tone and I think that you kinda have to want to play in Grant Morrison's weird uh trailer park sandbox. Um does he have a like a minimum number of fart jokes he's got to have in this series? Because there's it's, a fart it's mention per, in this too. It's part. It's per series, not per issue. Absolutely, he does because okay. he's Grant Morrison, so he's making sure the fart quota is there, probably in droves. But there has been an issue or two without a, a palt or a PP joke. That's what keeps me going. I know. What were you gonna say, Rome Doggy, before we started um, talking about palts? I don't, I don't know. I'm just excited for. Call him Gaths. I'm just excited for tying in some more things from Grant Morrison's larger DC Maybe Morrison we need to read verse. Multiversity. You think there's a Morrison verse? Maybe we should combine oh, yeah. Our, yeah, our final crisis with multiversity, which is just no. building on the Kirby verse for DC. Let's do them separate. <clears throat> yeah, and then, and how the ways this might tie into Final Crisis things, little things in there. <clears throat> Because we may have seen a couple of these characters in Final Crisis. There was somebody in here. I was like, wait, we've seen him in another movie. And it reminded me a lot of the multiversity in terms of the way this issue was set up. But this sort of initial how the threat is affecting a very foreign world and then cut to our world and then tie the, you know, that larger threat back in. Uh, It was very Grant Morrison. Uh, I liked it. I liked it a lot. Um, I'm going to give it uh, an eight out of ten. Loved it super a lot. The pacing was just a little bit off for me. But aside from that, very, very good for me. And I'm going to give it a nine and a half. Yeah. I was even running the beginning when she says Marta. It's like, is that a little, like, joke on Martha? Yeah, it had to (laughs) be. Marta! Uh, I didn't read it, but I just looked through it very closely while you guys talked about it. And uh, I would give the... I'd give the art a seven and a half. I would give the colors a ten and a half. This, this, mm. Steve Olaf is knocking it out of the goddamn park here. Well, on a topic of a book that I would give the colors a ten and a half, No One Left to Fight, number one, from Dark Horse Comics by Audrey Sitterson um, and Fico Osio and Taylor Esposito. Isn't this like Dragon Ball meets uh, Dragon Ball? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's more Dragon Ball Z than Dragon Ball for sure, but oh, um, there's different. some Dragon Ball in it for sure. <clears throat> I would say this is gorgeous. Like, the yeah. colors are a blast. There's yeah. not anything that is colored quite like this. It's it's bombastic. Uh, kind of curse yeah. words. Um, maybe kind of Captara. Um, yeah, but brighter than either of those. Yeah, it is. It's like yeah. vivid, saturated colors. It's it's kind of a crazy thing to behold. It uh, So the, the art style or the colors or so, something about the mood of the visuals in this comic made me think a little bit of um, 
LaGuardia. Mm, I don't know if you guys. Yeah, I don't know if you guys read that. I can see that, that but, color happening, like those purples. Yeah, something about that pops in a similar way to this book, but this this one just like cranks it all the way up to like '80s neon pinks and purples and greens. Yeah, it's it's real cool looking. Um, I think the story was a little bit heavy handed. Some of the characters were like, "Okay, we get it. You're kind of a dick for no no discernible reason." <clears throat> yeah, so this is definitely. The writer called the shop and was trying to get stores to increase their orders for it. And he was like, are you a fan of Dragon Ball Z? And I was like, oh, buddy, I sure am. And he's like, all right, well, this is just straight up. I love Dragon Ball Z. It's for other people that love Dragon Ball Z. It's a Dragon Ball Z story. So the two main characters that we're introduced to are definitely your standard Goku and Vegeta dynamic. We've got, for all intents and purposes, uh, Goku um, in the twilight of his successes is sort of everything's been taken from him, and he's going to. He's trying to find the place where he had finished this epic battle and saved the world, it sounds like. In order to get there, he's got to hang out with his old friend, who's a girl, and her husband. Her husband is the Vegeta analog. And he's just like angry, bitter Vegeta, who's upset that he's like not quite as strong as Goku. And Goku is just like this super happy, childish, innocent guy who's also the strongest. So there's this other guy who's just got a perpetual chip on his shoulder. Um, but he's also a little bit threatened by the fact that this Goku type is such good friends with his wife, of which they have you know two children as well. So not super founded uh, jealousy there. And uh, while they're staying all together, there's some stuff that happens between Goku and his female friend, but then jealous husband Vegeta challenges him to a battle. There's a big energy blast. A, a big old demon thing shows up um, and uh, seems to take over the Vegeta character. And that's where the issue ends. I don't like any of the names in this as much as Goku and Vegeta. Sorry, Aubrey. Um... <laughs> But I, I liked it. It's It's got a real Saturday morning cartoon thing to it. Um, it's not like Headlopper at all, but also feels a lot like Headlopper to me. Like, kind of big, colorful battles and yeah. archetypal characters with extreme emotions and dispositions. Like, you're a grown-up. Here's that thing you liked when you were not. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. For sure. Yeah, and it I, does feel a lot like Dragon Ball Z. Sorry, Roman. Yeah, and I like the the... The humor in it, I mean, I really like the designs of, like, their little pet squidly yeah. thing. It's 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 used to punctuate kind of the emotional stuff between characters. Um, <clears throat> and because I haven't, I've, I've only read, I'm just starting my Dragon Ball journey. Uh-huh. Um, so I haven't got to Dragon Ball Z yet. Oof. So I was actually confused when they're doing their sparring at the end, and all of a sudden the Vegeta, Vegeta analog... I was confused. Did he turn into this green demon thing, yeah. or did he summon it? Or he either what? summoned it or became it, but he's still shooting that blast. Yeah, because the, the green so. demon thing is saying the name of the guy yeah. that whatever. And then the demon thing gets destroyed, but then there's a blast, and then the Vegeta guy's there still. Yeah. still so attacking, so I was confused by that. It is That's a little bit of a, some confusing visual storytelling, but I also think that what exactly they're doing with their powers and their fighting is something that will become more evident as the series progresses. So I think it's probably meant to be confusing right now. I read this comic also. Yeah? I don't give a fuck about Dragon Ball or Dragon Ball Z, but I like this one a lot. Did you? Yeah, I did. I Some of it kind of veered a little too far into, like, manga sound effects that I could hear. Uh-huh. Um, I guess anime sound effects. But just in general, I really like the... Uh, 
I like the story. I like the art. The angles on the art were really interesting. Um, and not like they're over the top and definitely inspired by anime and manga, but not not in the way that I don't like those. And yeah. I, I something about me just never really glommed on to manga at all. I and can't really get into Disney Pixar 3D animation stuff at all. Yeah. I just, there's no r- real rhyme or reason, but I just can't find an entry point. So I think I there's, there's a time in your life that your brain is ready to absorb a style, and sometimes you miss it, and it's just a little too much work for me. But this, this is a good kind of ease in and sort of parallel to something that I know a lot of people really, really enjoy. And, and it's still it. very Western for as much as it's also uh, influenced by anime and manga. Yeah, that's so. why I like it. Just well, it's, deep down, I only like It's a combination things. of both. So it's not like throwing yourself into the, the deep end of manga or something. Like It straddles it nicely. Um, not an, you know, like not super, super high concept, but fun. It's a fun car to be in. I give it a 7 out of 10. I give it a 7 also. Oh, uh, yeah, I'll give it a 7. That seems like a good number. Yeah. You think Aubrey would talk to us? Uh, I bet he would. We could call him. I love his wrestling graphic novel. I didn't talk to him about wrestling when we talked because I forgot he was so into wrestling. <laughs> what a bit. Hey, Aubrey, is that? <laughs> hey, Aubrey, answer the phone. Oh, hey, guys. Hey, Aubrey, Jeff Figley on the horn. Hey, Jeff. Who's your You're... favorite Dragon Ball Z character? Uh, Vaginas. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Aubrey, uh, you gotta stop drinking so much, Aubrey. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I mostly drink uh, whiskey, uh, crantinis. <laughs> uh, t- tell me about tell me about your zombie book. Oh, DC East number Schlee. Gosh, it's not. No, this is the other zombie book that came out today. Oh. It's uh, the Walking Dead number one hundred and ninety Schlee. Um, well, th- like the interesting thing about this is that Robert Kirkman Image Comics. Diamond, everybody kept it a secret that this was the last issue of The Walking Dead. And they put it out, they solicited this, and then a couple other issues beyond this, and then it turns out that this is the last one. And uh, if you've been reading Walking Dead and you're behind and you haven't read this, I would I would skip ahead yeah. in our podcast. Because this is like major spoilers for the end of a 193-issue long comic. Um, but... I'm gonna go ahead and spoil it for anybody yeah, who's still listening. Yeah, I'll, I'll put a I'll put a timestamp on for when we uh, go into buckshots, which will be after this. Yeah, yeah, just skip ahead and then come back to it later. So this takes probably a 20 year jump, I would say, maybe a 15 year jump, and we end up with uh, old One Eye Carl hanging out in the future after they've gotten rid of most of the zombies. Are you trying to milk yourself, Jeff? How did they get rid of the zombies? They got rid of the <laughs> zombies just by killing them all. Oh wow! So there um, wasn't like a new wave that started. No. We never found out what caused him. Never found out what caused him. Nice, Bob. There's not a whole bunch of new ones, but uh, Herschel, who is Maggie's son, is kind of a traveling um, snake oil salesman, and he's he's traveling around the country with zombies in a caravan wagon and showing them off for money. And uh, he set one loose to hopefully go find Carl. And it did find Carl, and Carl killed it, and now Carl's on trial in the middle of this issue for killing someone else's property. Hmm. So it just kind of shows you how far along the world has come in the last 15 or 20 years. And, uh, you know, Carl doesn't handle that well. He ends up going to a higher court, which is run by a familiar face. Who? Uh, Michonne. Nice. Uh, she was an attorney right. in the in the Commonwealth 
I think it was the Commonwealth, the, la- the last a lawyer settlement it all they were in. Yeah, um, and you know, it it ends in the way that uh, Kirkman said that he had always planned to end it, which was with Carl reading bedtime stories about Rick to his child. And uh, it's a really sweet ending. It's it's like a children's book, so they've got printing presses and stuff at this point. And uh, and under the narration, they're showing how different characters ended up. That's um, cool. Yeah, it's it's really cool. We've got like Jesus and Aaron. We got, I mean, just just all the characters that you you kind of wonder. He had a lot of people hanging out yeah. at that point, and obviously after Rick died. There must have been a pretty quick turn into us winning the war against the zombies because twenty years. You know, this is twenty years later, and most most of our characters are still around. Not not all of them, but uh, apparently Negan is, according to the the letters page, which mm-hmm. is just like eight pages of terrible, terrible font choice, and but a pretty good letter. Twenty years of that stories wrote. that will surely be told as well. Maybe, yeah. maybe. I mean, he. I, I could see him just putting a period on this and every once in a while releasing a one-shot or something. That would be cool, too. I'd be surprised if he turned it over to other creators, although he did let... Um, who, who wrote the airplane one? Vaughn. Yeah, Brian K. Vaughn wrote a, a short story that you can't find anywhere it, except it's on his website. It's just bizarre to me how abruptly it ended. Yeah, and he addresses that in the letters page. He says that, uh, you know... Part of part of the shtick of Walking Dead and part of the thrill was that nobody was ever safe. And so you would get an issue and your favorite character would die right out of the gate or, you know, by the Sometimes end of the issue. Sometimes your favorite series died. That's exactly what it is. He yeah. said, I didn't want to tell anybody that the series was going to be over. He said he likes being in a movie and not knowing how long the movie is yeah. and trying not to be aware of which act they're in in a movie yeah. so that you don't try to start kind of problem solving and, and right. figure out the mystery um, or I what, whatever the twist is going to be. And this it's, is this is fucking amazing to just say, Rick's dead. 20 years later, fuck you, the story's over. Yeah. I loved it. Yeah. I, I, and, and I think if you are just a little bit familiar with Walking Dead, you could grab this book and read it, and you wouldn't have some of the same emotional beats that I did when I saw where all these characters ended up, but you would have... Uh, it was like an 80-page, 60- or 80-page complete enough story about the end of the zombie crisis. And I had a number of people today who have not ever read the story by that issue today because it's also yeah. kind of a historical thing. Yeah. And it's going to be a massively underprinted book for what it is. Mm-hmm. And that's a very smart move on Hickman. Not Hickman. <laughs> He's so smart. On Kirkman's part. Yeah. Yeah. I. Uh, they're getting a lot of shit on it just kind of in the industry that um, I think it's awesome to do what he did well like from a store perspective I can see I can see people being upset that uh, like they could have charged more for the issue because it's so big they could have overshipped us a bunch um, there, there, there are a few ways that they could have handled it that would have made us more money but from a fan standpoint, I think this is awesome. And I think that's what Kirkman is always focused on. I, yeah. I don't begrudge him anything for always putting fans before everything. Oh, yeah. Like, he puts retailers above his own shit a lot of the time, but he puts fans mm-hmm. above retailers as well, and I think that that's awesome. Like, that's how it should be. I think the whole industry would be a lot healthier if that was the angle that publishers took. Like, let's give the fans something that they're going to want to get. So what do you give the score, this <clears throat> book? And then what do you give The Walking Dead? <laughs> 
it's not that easy, Jeff. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought I asked you a question. <laughs> From one, I, I I would say as a as a final issue, ten out of ten. Uh-huh. As just a regular old comic, probably eight out of ten. Eight and a half out of ten. What do you give The Walking Dead? The Walking Dead, I would uh, give anywhere from uh, from a seven to a ten. I, mm. I think it's done some really, really amazing things. I think that sometimes it was kind of a slog, although it was always pretty compelling. Like I never, I never questioned buying the next issue. Walking Dead to me gets a ten. Yeah, I'm like forty or fifty issues behind, like several years behind. But I think that it's. It'll be historically important. I think at 50 years from now, what The Walking De- Dead did is is a pretty important thing to comic books. And it also uh, kind of championed comic books to television as a jump. Yep. And it really pioneered that and took a lot of a lot of courageous steps for that. And what it did has ultimately greatly affected a lot of other comic books being turned to television or even the possibility of it. And it championed people like comics into people's hands like without walking dead we wouldn't have probably 30 percent of the industry that we yeah. have right now uh, and yeah um and comic books and like everything mm-hmm. i think it, it is drastically it's a hugely important important book and even though i think the last couple of years were yeah like you said kind of a slog i think that its mark on the industry is incredibly important and yeah. the fact that a black and white comic made 193 issues and was probably as high on every sales list as it always was is astounding Cerebus gets a lot of credit for making it to 300 issues. Go fuck yourself. Uh, Walking Dead made it to 193 good issues. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, fuck off, Dave yeah. Sam. You can quote me on that. Um, I probably won't, unless that's the title of the episode, which I probably will. But here's the thing, it's Roman. It's got to be Biscuits we and Jeffrey. We always put 90... What'd you say? Biscuits, Biscuits and, and Jeffrey. Jeffrey. Oh, okay. Um, Roman, I take 90 seconds aside every week. And those 90 seconds, I consider my Roman seconds. And what I want from those seconds is just a little bit of time to spend some time inside that gorgeous gob of yours. And I just want to be masticated uh, with your words and your comic books. (laughs) Tell me about your shit. Regurgitation time. Uh, Captain America and the Avengers one-shot, number one by Roy Thomas and Jerry Ordway. This Two was names a, I sure know a lot about. Roy Thomas created the Vision. Among this is Roman's 90 Sorry, seconds. Yeah, I should say that whole thing. <laughs> Give me 10 more. Um, this was a fun story set in World War II. It's cap, like Captain America's first or second, third mission. And uh, he's sent on this mission to, to the Bahamas. It's based in real history of World War II, which is kind of the cool thing with Roy Thomas. He's like the in terms of research and building stories around actual historical events of the war, he's like uh, Garth Ennis, except with superheroes and not gore and tragedy. This was a fun issue. Namor's involved, the original Human Torch is involved, but they don't actually meet as superheroes. They kind of, two of them meet undercover. Um, The Dreaming, another great issue. Um, This was one of those comics all about the importance of story and the way it changes realities. Uh, I'm really digging this series. It's my favorite of the new, the new Vertigo series, which are soon going to be the late Vertigo series, I guess. And Star Trek Year Five, number three. This is another great issue. It totally captures the feeling of original Trek, these characters, their personalities, the science of the show, and this revisits not only the Tholians but also um, 
I forget the name of the planet. This planet they go to, it's the one where Kirk and Spock and Bones go down to the planet, and it's all based on Chicago gangster Give them another 10 stuff. seconds. Go. Yeah, yeah. And it's all based one, on Chicago gangster-era stuff. Three, they revisit that planet four, and see how they've developed five, because of Bones accidentally six, leaving his communicator seven, on the planet at uh-huh. the end of that episode. Eight, nine, ten. Roman's told me every week that he's excited about reading Star Trek Year 5. Um, <clears throat> you can take that out, right? I was counting the 10 seconds. Oh, yeah, it's easy to take okay, out, yeah. Cool. Um, I love this cover. And you're just, are you still just loving it? Oh, yeah. I love it. Even just this cover made me crack up because the three of them are standing on on this balcony and Bones has just got his head and his hand covering his face, just that typical Bones, like, God, God damn it. And, and it, it's, their voices are so accurate. And I love the way it builds on actual original episode history and, and plot lines. I have a pimple on my areola is the thing. How do you think, uh, so on that Star Trek... <laughs> Does it bother you that the covers look like an Avatar comic? I could see that. That hadn't occurred to me, actually, until I now. I could see that. Ruined it. Sorry, boys. No, it's something it about the inking. It doesn't bother me, no. <clears throat> it looks like Jason Burroughs inking. Um, what are your scores? That's fine. I mean, I like Burroughs. I don't, I don't, I don't like the stories, usually. But um, my scores, Star Trek, that gets, that gets, a, that gets a 10. Wow, holy fuck. <laughs> the number of 9.510 waitling you've been doing today is disgusting. You've had one gooey duck on the table and one gooey duck on the floor all night. <laughs> They're everywhere. There's quapos all over my lap. <laughs> the Dreaming gets an, gets an uh, that's, a, that's a solid eight. That's a beautiful cover. It is. It revisits the... the oh, yeah, you told us the all, peb, remember? The pub at the end of the world. The pub at the end of the world. Um, Captain America the Invaders, uh, I'll give it a seven and a half. He wants the, it to the, have been The better. art isn't great, but... He wants it to have been a 10. I want it to be, because I love the invaders. Jay, I want to talk to you about Test for a minute and a half. Oh! Buckshot alone on <clears throat> Test is group combo starting right now. This is by Chris Sabella and I think Jennifer Hickman. Um, yeah. Uh, what did you think about this? My, my feeling on this is that it's a new vault book, and it kind of reminded me of, like, a weird mix of, like, Hunter Thompson and that... Burroughs book, Junkie. It made me think of uh, sort of Black Mask comics. Or Chuck Chuck Palahniuk reminded me of it. Yeah, so yeah, it follows the kid who's like had all kinds of experiments done on him and some of them are tech, some of them are just drugs and he's kind of having this weird trippy adventure. I, 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 I didn't like it, and then I realized I was almost at the end, and I was being pulled through the story, and I really was impressed that they were able to make this comic that is half head trip and half grounded and make me definitely read the whole thing and enjoy from start to finish. Yeah, I wouldn't necessarily uh, say that to I, the finish. I enjoyed start to finish, but like it pulled me through it, and it sometimes was a little bit too junky grandizing drug trip which does bother me i don't necessarily love a writer kind of getting whatever rocks off describing how awesome it is to shoot up that's kind of played out um but there were some interesting aspects and it it, at several moments did make me think about oh that's a cool thought to have about technology and addiction as time moves on it had it had some cool ideas in it yeah um, okay, cool. Yeah, I wanted to have a conversation about it more than just buckshot it. So yeah, I I, I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Yeah, yeah, it was interesting. Um, do you want to go? Sure, I can go. All right, get it done. All right, Skyward fourteen was good. Punisher thirteen was good. Space Bandits, if you like Mark Millar, was good. Probably also if you like Mateo Scalera. 
Uh, Black Hammer, Age of Doom, also awesome. Red Sonja, number six. This is why we're here. It's yeah, it's Mark Russell doing the Mark Russell thing. He's got, I think, an extra artist or somebody uh, pretending to be two different artists. And it just teaches you lessons every couple of pages. And Like you and Roman were talking the other day on the podcast about learning like what comics did you learn something from and like have shaped the way that you approach things or think or helped you i don't remember exactly how do we get through tragedy using comic books yeah and i realized last night while i was reading this that i don't use comics to get through tragedy but i have learned a lot of kind of philosophy and and ways to approach life from mark russell comics like he's he's got a a not subtle way of a setup and a payoff a lot of times. And the payoff is well worth kind of the, I don't even want to say it's forced setup. It's just like, okay, he had this happen in order to teach this lesson and it's over and over and over. And it's really well done and smooth. And I, I, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, I'm six issues into a red Sonya comic. That's never happened in my life. It's our highest subscribed Red Sonia book ever by a factor of between two and three. Yeah. Yeah. And like I can't even tell you exactly which of the which of the things in here got me, but it's I don't know, man. This guy this guy's just good at this stuff. What do you give that? What do you give ten. all of them? I I give Red Sonia ten, I'd give Black Hammer Age of Doom an eight. I'd give Space Bandits a seven and a half. I would give Punisher a seven. I would get Skyward a seven. I want I want Skyward to get better. I don't know if it will. It's done at 17, so I think they're just getting their ducks in a row to end it. That's a bummer. I yeah. hope they sold it to a TV show because I would watch it yeah. with the same excitement that I watched like Eureka when that yeah. was on because okay. it was cute and compelling. Fucking Red Sonja. Fucking Mark Russell, man. You gotta just... I want to read that, like, first paperback a lot. Yeah. You don't even... He'll teach you something with every chapter. Open to a random page, Jeffrey. And prepare for a lesson. Red Sonja 614. Go. Um, Justice League number 27 by Jimmy T.I.V. and Leander Fernandez, I believe. Um, This... Or Javier Fernandez is the first sort of big Justice League issue tying into this Year of the Villain offer thing. I guess the last one kind of did, but um, and this one ended with Lex Luthor showing up to give John Jones a proposition where he's going to be giving everybody a proposition in these the offer stories, but it was a separate story except for this final page where he shows up. So that was a little bit misleading. That being said, still a really fantastic issue to me. I, I really dug it. There was some Amazo stuff in here. Uh, I didn't read the issue before this, so I was missing something, but they're visiting this scientist who's affected by Lionel Luther or Lex Luthor. But what I really liked was when the Justice League was talking to the Forger of Worlds and the Monitor, talking about needing to go to the Anti-Monitor on Quard. Um, I love the Monitor talking about his brother, and we're talking about... I love hearing characters or seeing characters in the DC universe talking about the crisis or the final crisis and talking about how, oh, Flash, you know, the chill of death should still be upon you from what happened to you. And I, I love that. It's very Grant Morrison-y. Um, Jimmy T. IV is as good at Scott Snyder, as Scott Snyder on this book, but a bit more wordy. Um, and then Doom Patrol, Weight of the World, Gerard Way, Jeremy Lambert. What is interesting about this is that it says 
Doom Patrol Chapter 13 in it. So this is a new series, but it's actually titled number one. Kind of interesting. It's a continuation of the one that ended. Um, I don't know if it works as a great place to jump in. I would give DC, or Justice League number 27 um, a 7. I loved a lot of the ideas, and then there was some stuff that was maybe a little bit heavy-handed or slow, which is kind of Jimmy T.I.V.'s way. Um, and then Doom Patrol was better. It was better. It actually felt a bit like an Adventure Time episode or something. <laughs> I think that... I, for some reason, felt a little bit burned by the end of this first series Gerard Way was writing, but this one seems to be less pretentious. They're not trying to do as much with it, and they're just kind of having adventures where it seems like we spent a year and a half gathering a team on the first book that, I don't know, it was bizarre. Do you think they get, they had, like, a three-month meeting with him and I have, relaunched? I honestly cannot fathom what went on with this. I don't know if he... I know he's a little bipolar-seeming. Maybe he got real into doing music stuff. Maybe Nick Darrington was the problem, and he couldn't keep up on the art schedule. Um, I don't know what it was, but we've got rotating artists now on mm. this series, and I think it's going to work well. And it it's dealing with some of the fallout from the Milk Wars stuff, but I awesome. I, I I dug it, and like Rita Farr is back in it, and she was the one who they got from the Milk Wars stuff. Man, I really wanted to like the Milk Wars, and I read it, and I really didn't like it, but now whenever I think of the Milk Wars, I look back on it fondly. I don't really know how they did that. It must have been the milk I drink. Ooh, yeah, there were parts of it that were pretty fantastic. I really love the credits in that issue, in this issue. The, like, the uh, neon signs yeah, no, they, that they did, that was super cool. 21st century Will Eisner stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah, I would give the, um, the yeah, the Doom Patrol issue, I would give that one 7.5. Nice. A working man's comic. It's the Bruce Springsteen of comic books. Um, yeah. We're... Running pretty long. Yeah, we're at we the end talk of a, about yeah, Spider-Man, a full right? length. We're at the end of a full length podcast right now. Do we want to just sign a, off and then jump into a new one and post two different things? Because that seems like it would make sense. Let's do it, man. Let's do it. That's our podcast. Um, listen, uh, that was episode one thirty-seven. We super appreciate everybody for listening. We're gonna start recording another podcast in just a second here, but we're gonna sign out on this one. Ooh, you should have seen that look he gave me. Me? You? I didn't mean anything by it if I did give you a like. It's just me now, like, kind of juggling things around, um, which is fine, Django. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, what, my actual thought, as you said that, was that um, the Spider-Man podcast will probably come up in the feed before this one because it'll be much easier to edit and then come out sooner to the movie. So we're going to record a podcast here in a second that you'll have access to much sooner than it's this like one. It's like time travel. Time travel. But uh, we've, got, we've been getting a lot more voicemails and emails. <clears throat> Thank you a ton we would still love a lot, like a huge number of them. So if you are listening to this, if you're at this point in the podcast, it is your duty to send a voicemail to us or send an email to us. You can send an email question to info at thecomicsplace.com and just write a subject line of Papcast question or episode 140 or whatever you want. Um, Or you can record a voicemail. 1619-663-7336. There you go. Uh, 619-663-7336. 1-619-663-7336. Yeah, bingo. Give us a call there, please, uh, and record a voicemail. We've got a couple of them saved up. We can't wait to get some more in. Um, Review us. Tell your friends. We, yeah. want, we want 
twice as many people listening to this podcast by the end of the year. That's I, our there, goal. I said it. Yeah. I said it out loud. I put it out to the universe. That's our goal. We're going to have a live show. Secret. We're going to have, yeah, we're doing that. We want twice as many listeners in one year from now. Sure. Easy. Easy peasy. Uh, I'm Jeff, and I'm staring at the base of this mountain, and I got to fucking climb it. I just don't get it. I'm Django. I'm at the top already. He's that fucking guy. I'm, I'm Roman. I'm just going to fly over it. Bitch. Go! Oh.